Good afternoon. Hello. Um, welcome, everybody. This is the third day of our program of events on government contracting welfare services to NGOs in China. Um, some of you are joining us uh, fresh and some of you are joining us after a couple of sessions already. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to repeat myself, um, but I'm going to introduce the research project, a little bit of the background for those of you joining new. Um, let me say just a few words. Uh, the events that we're here attending are a culmination of a three-year research project on government contracting of welfare services to NGOs in China uh, that has been funded by the Economic and Social Research Council here in the UK. The project has been uh, led by Professor Jude Howell at the LSE and has as co-investigators Professor Karen Fisher at University of New South Wales in Australia, and Professor Xiaoyuan Shang from Beijing Normal University in China. In the team, we also have Yu Jie from Beijing Normal University and Dr. Colleague, uh, my colleague, Dr. Yuan Yuan Chi, and myself here at the LSE. We've carried research uh, uh, over three years in five different locations in China. Uh, with over 120 interviews with social organizations, government officials, and extensive documentary research on three different uh, service sectors, namely children living with uh, disabilities, people living with HIV AIDS, and migrants. We've examined questions around uh, welfare reform, state society relations, and authoritarianism. Um, here we are now uh, attending uh, the presentation by Dr. Yuan Yuan Chu on building the entrepreneurial welfare estate through welfare service contracting in China. Uh, she's a postdoctoral research fellow at the LSE and has previously done research on the area of disability studies, sociology of technology, NGOs and civil society in China. She will be presenting for around 15 minutes. Um, the session is being recorded. So you're welcome to turn your cameras on if you're comfortable and I have everybody on mute um, up until the, the Q&A. If you want to raise a question, you can use the chat function or the raise hand function. And I will ask you to unmute if you use the raise hand function um, to pose your question. So enough from me. Uh, let's hear from Dr. Yuan Yuan Chu. Um, Thank you, Regina. Uh, am I muted? No, I'm not. Uh, right, okay. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. It's lovely to meet you in this way, and I hope you're all doing well in this very difficult time. So what I'm going to talk about today is a new type of state behavior in China, what we call the entrepreneurial welfare of the state, and the building of it through service contracting. Uh, so, as you know, since 2013, Chinese government rolled out the policy to contract welfare services out to non-governmental service providers. That is a central level decision. Since then, service contracting has been practiced across China in different models. Uh, they have been a growing number of really good studies examining the impl implementation of the policy in the few advanced cities, for, uh, for example, Guangzhou, Shanghai, and Shenzhen, where there is a relatively sufficient number of social organizations and the local state has good knowledge of contracting. I'm sure you've seen some of the papers and the, our previous section, the study from the EJ as well, but 
how do local states lacking these conditions, such as those having a limited supply of non-governmental service providers, respond to the policy? That's the puzzle we aim to address in this paper. So my presentation includes three parts. Uh, first of all, I will give a brief introduction of our CAT city, which is one of the five research locations for the project. Then I will summarize the city's implementation of the contracting policy as in two stages. Based on the empirical data, I will propose our concept of the entrepreneurial welfareist state, which includes four elements. And that will be the final part of my presentation. So first, something about the city. Uh, this is a county level city in Eastern China. Let's just call it City A. City A has eight towns, seven districts, and over 1.2 million residents. It had the so-called unbalanced development. Uh, on one hand, it is industrial and rich. It's one of the 100 wealthiest Chinese cities. It has been on the list for years. On the other hand, the city is weak in welfare provision and civic forces. For example, in 2011, City A had only 375 registered organizations. Only a minority of them were civic organizations, and they were described by interviewed government officials here as, here I quote, undeveloped, lacking staff with skills, and incapable of service provision. So the city lacked eligible social organizations to undertake services, not to mention a sufficient member to compete in the market. Also, unlike well-researched cities like Guangzhou and Shanghai, officials in City A had limited knowledge of uh, or few experience with contracting. Uh, as you will hear very soon, they had to turn to third-party professionals for help. So how does a local state that has no sufficient social organizations or, uh, or knowledge of contracting implement the policy? Well, CTA had a range of innovative and entrepreneurial welfare's, uh, sorry, entrepreneurial behaviors that can be divided as two stages. First, between 2013 and 2016, CTA developed a creative investment for public good program called Gong Yi Chuangtou in Chinese to grow social organizations as well as to purchase their services. This started with the Civil Affairs Bureau at the city level. Basically, the Bureau set up a fund which is open to all local nonprofit forces, including uh, registered social organizations, those who haven't successfully registered but are recorded at local governments, and even, here I called, grassroots individuals who are just interested in public affairs. All these groups or forces were encouraged to design their own plan of services to submit to the fund that will be reviewed by experts and get approved and funded or not. Uh, of course, in the process, the government defined the general categories of services they would like to buy, such as social work, community services and party building in 2017. 
within these general categories, service providers were required to research local demands, uh, design their plan accordingly, and get a formal agreement letter from local leaders, for example, community leaders, to proceed the application. Once approved, they would get a one-year contract and a small amount of money, uh, no more than two hundred thousand yuan for their activities and surveys. This program was designed by the city-level civil affairs bureau and a third party organization which came from Shanghai and specialized in incubating civic organizations. That's the professional third party NGC I mentioned, but we'll go back to that. Then the program had been replicated by lower level governments by 2016, all town and district level governments in City A had its purchasing. Then we come, uh, then we come to the second stage. In 2016, City A's Civil Affairs Bureau created a community development foundation to facilitate contracting. This registered as a civic or people-run foundation, uh, it was managed by the third party organization, which had been involved in designing the program. The establishment of the foundation brings three changes. First, it, uh, it centralizes service contracting of the civil affairs system in City A. Since 2016, uh, or town and district level, district level governments are required to put their budget for contracting into the foundation, which will organize purchasing as a whole. So that means the use of the same set of procedures, rules and standards in contracting. The second change is that the foundation or the third party organization who manages it takes over the administrative work of local governments in contracting. So they would draft every year's contracting plans, although that needs to be uh, approved by the government. They contact social organizations, collect their proposals, host events and assessments, and then they arrange the contracts. Finally, uh, via the foundation, service contracting has been, in City A, has been extended to other government departments for example, the organization, uh, organization unit of CCP in City A, or even to the private sector, for example, a local bank. So that's what City A did for uh, service contracting. From these arrangements and behaviors, we identify um, a new pattern of, low, uh, of local state behaviors. Uh, well, we think it's new that we turn as the entrepreneurial welfareist state. This includes four elements, which are direct intervention, risk taking, risk sharing, and welfareism. Um, I don't think I've got time to explain each of them in detail, but I will try to give you a rough ideas of uh, a rough idea of what they are. First, is the direct venturesome engagement of the local state in building society. So the government invested financial resources, which is the money, uh, administrative resources. For example, they share the information, the information of service users to social organizations, 
and social resources. For example, they connect social organizations to the media so that they can get wider attention. All of these were to have sufficient and eligible service providers in a very short time. And if that's not enough, some local governments even create their own organizations to undertake government, governmental service, services. So in this pattern, the state does not only set up the environment, but also become the actor or even the primary actor itself. The second element is risk taking. Our research finds that in purchasing welfare service through the investment program, local officials take risks in aspects of investment efficiency, accountability management, and social stability. For example, the Civil Affairs Bureau might be questioned on its money use if their partner organizations fail to uh, you know, find the right invoices. To respond to that, uh, officials in City A use a range of strategies to share the risks with other government departments, lower level bureaucrats, and with professional parties. Uh, if you can remember, I said the establishment of the foundation extended the sources of funding, which reduces the risk of investment. Mm. Uh, I also mentioned that in designing the service plan, social organizations need to contact uh, local leaders and get their agreement. So that's the sharing of risks of management and social control uh, and the third party organization. By taking over the administrative work, it certainly shares a lot of responsibility and risks. So that's our third element, risk sharing. The final point is welfareism. Uh, our study finds that the aims of the entrepreneurial welfareist state include the proliferation of welfare services and also the crafting of social organizations to be service providers. We've talked about the prioritization of services rather than rights in our previous events uh, and in many published studies. City uh, is not exceptional. It is all about welfare services. In the meantime, the entrepreneurial welfareist state differs from existing patterns such as state entrepreneurialism in the way that uh, personal or institutional profits are not the primary driver of uh, state officials, as far as we can see. So to wrap up, our argument is that in, in places where social forces are not developed and via service contracting, uh, that emerges a new type of local state behavior that can be described as the entrepreneurial welfareist state. Such a state behaves as an in, uh, innovative executor of top-down policies, uh, an effective manager of a new local welfare provision system, and a deft regulator of the emerging civil society. Um, I should probably stop here, but just to clarify that the entrepreneurial welfareist state is not proposed to be a uh, uncontested concept. We all know that China is a huge country and a lot of uh, variations in almost every aspect. We develop this concept from behaviors of, of states at the city level and below. 
And also, we think that the entrepreneurial welfare risk state may coexist with previous theories or models, such as state entrepreneurialism or local cooperativism. We therefore see the contribution of the concept in just in just adding one new dimension um, to the complex picture of governance in China. All right, that's me for now. Thank you for your attention and I look forward to your comments, questions and criticisms. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Yuan Yuan, uh, for a great presentation. Um, on, on a new form or a new, new form of behavior of a local state through uh, contracting of services to NGOs. Um, we have a question by Karen Fisher. Um, in this location where there are also grassroots NGOs wanting to contract, and if so, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, were there also grassroots NGOs wanting to contract, and if so, what what was their relationship with the state and entrepreneurial supported new NGOs? Um, yeah, I think, yes, they are. Some of the NGOs in CTPA, they, are, they describe themselves as grassroots because they have no, uh, they existed before the 2000, before the policy, before the program, they don't have like retired government officials or close relationship with the government, while they were happily uh, participant, participating in the program. It, yeah, many of them are grassroots organizations. Um, I don't think there is an obvious conflict or difference between those grassroots organizations and the so-called newly developed uh, organizations, although they are uh, conflicts in ideas about what kind of services should be professional services, but I would assume that's another thing. Here, an open question from Jude Howard to to everyone, really. If uh, she's wondering if any if anybody in the audience has found similar government behavior in other parts of China and other cities where there are few social organizations available to provide services. Um, let's open there and see if anybody uh, comments back. Um, a question by Chin Yun Li. Um, can you elaborate on why the country state started on this? Uh, Sorry, can you elaborate on why the county started on this journey to provide services, on this journey to provide services? What services have been carried out? How do the participants define local leaders and how many non, new nonprofit groups were created after this step? Right, I'll start with the first question, the, uh, the rationale, uh, rationales of the local government. Um, we've got you know, official answers from the interviewed government officials saying that the aim was to develop local welfare provision, uh, to innovate governance, to create a better environment for public goods. Um, apart from that, I think also they had, they faced the pressure to implement the policy of contracting, which came from the central level government. Um, but also, I'm not doubting the aim to 
develop local welfare provision because that has been on their annual government report as a key target for their governance in the few next in the few next years, next five years, it seems like that. So I think that would be their uh, motivations to have service contracting. The second question is what services have been carried out? Uh, well, as I said, the element of the program seems to be that it's creative. Social organizations can create what can propose whatever they think are necessary to be provided to the local residents. But that has to be within the categories uh, defined by the government. As I said, in 2017, the three general categories are um, community services, uh, social work and party building. In 2018, that was governance, basic services uh, and social work, I think. So those are very general categories. And in terms of the projects purchased by the government or the Civil Affairs Bureau or the foundation, what we can say is that it has a lot of different categories, but they are the most popular areas could be services to the elderly, to uh, children with difficulties. That difficulties means impairment or other difficulties, for example, those living in poverty. Um, community services, as which is popular across China, and social work. So that's the, the general directions we identified from the field work. The third one is how do the participants define local leaders? Well, there are different levels of local leaders. Uh, it's a complicated process when social organizations are required to contact uh, the community leader, the leader of the community committee to get the approval for the service they are going to uh, they're going to deliver in, in the area. Sometimes that involves the street level bureaucrats. So it's more like a negotiation and dynamics between different levels of government officials. But the formal agreement letter I was talking about, the one that is necessary to proceed in applying for the fund, that one should be coming from the community leaders. Although it may actually be the what the street level officials want to do. The final question is how many new non-profit groups were created after this step? Well, we don't have the space, uh, we don't have the number. Uh, we interviewed 27 organizations, that's the number we have. Uh, the, another evidence is that even in 2017, the eligible, the list of eligible social organizations to undertake government services is only 107. But just to point it out that in the investment program purchasing, non-registered organizations can actually participate in the program. So that I guess that depends on how you define the group, the scope of the group. Uh, 
But another evidence is that we do see many nonprofit groups established or organizations created after the program. So yes, it does help to develop social organizations in location A. Yeah, I hope that's all. Thank you. Um, we have a question by uh, Hua Wang. Please, can you unmute yourself? Thank you, Yanya, for the very interesting um, uh, um, paper and, uh, and presentation, actually. I have been doing some field work uh, kind of relevant to the elderly service in elderly care services in China. And I, I do find is, uh, there are a lot of uh, kind of practices in the, especially below the city level, especially the county level or township level. There are so many where the civil society or, or social organizations are really weak. Um, there's quite kind of a, uh, innovations between the state and the society. They try to create some new things, which we're not sure about the, the efficiency or sustainability. Um, uh, I think for here, I have two questions. One is, um, what's the motivations of the local officials to start those programs? Is just uh, because they want to implement the top the top level design, or is there any other motivations in this from the bottom up level? And the second question is, if in this locality there's a very weak society, very weak civil uh, social organizations, why they try to create it? Why they not adopt the public private PPP partnership model, uh, but take another way around? So what what's the point for an authoritarian regime to do that way? So that might be the question. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I know the public-private model uh, you were talking about, the PP, PPO, is that what you said? PP or PPP, public-private uh, partnership. partnership. Yeah. Uh, I'm not entirely sure I understand it in the right way, but the motivations for local governments to have that kind of um, program, according to the officials, was simple. When the policy comes, they have to contract services out while they, don't ha they didn't have uh, sufficient eligible social organizations. That's, that's where it all started. Uh, I remember that the third party organization I mentioned, uh, I said it was in Shanghai and the government officials visited Shanghai to invite them to CTA to create a branch and then to help them to grow social organizations. So growing social organizations or the development of the society, of society was actually one of its aims. I'm not saying it's the only aim, but I can see that it was one of them, including that in contracting process, they don't really, well, they care about price, but as the interview said, price is not the first priority. They want to have creative service plan that could be, you know, the, the reform of governance, of local governance, that kind of thing. So I do think when they claim that they want to, develop social services, they want to innovate uh, local governance. I think uh, that makes sense. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if that's all, but that's what we found. Uh, including the, is it the, 
Is it your question? Yeah, that's also the reason I, I think they didn't use the PPP, public-private partnership. Great, Yuan-Yuan. Uh, there's another question from Ruth Kinua that asks, are there specific pro-entrepreneurial policies in place apart from financing that are incentivizing NGOs and encouraging proliferation of social service work? I don't think so. Well, maybe there are some small policies, but the information we get from we got from the interview uh, interviewees was that they there were nothing before the 2013, and we were all we we just got the chance to develop because of the investment program. That's from more than one social organisations, and some of them are grassroots organisations. So I would assume that's that's the reality. And apart from financing uh, new social organizations, do they do other things like training and capacity building, like incubating social organizations? Are there other policies that are uh, in place to, to, uh, to, to help grow that society? Oh, yes. Thank you for uh, reminding me that, Regina. That's a good point. Actually, in 2011 and 2012, uh, City already developed incubation center to develop social organizations. So before the uh, 2000, 2013 central policy, CTA already realized that it needed more social organizations to deliver services or whatever. So they had it before the 2006, uh, 2013, but that was only one or two of them. So the most of the support or motivation or program that happened after the 2007, uh, 2013 document. Here a question from Karen Fisher. Can you talk about any problems or disadvantages that um, this with this type of NGO building? It sounds like you're describing the state action as entrepreneurial. Did the actions of the NGOs themselves have uh, also have entrepreneurial characteristics in response to the state support? That's a very good point. Yeah, thank you for that, Karen. Uh, for the first question, yes, the the focus of the paper was the state behavior pattern. So I didn't include it in my presentation or in the paper. But of course, they are problems or disadvantages of this pattern. Uh, something just as Regina already said in her presentation, there are some common disadvantages. For example, the, the funding, it lasts for one year. So it's not, uh, it's not secure, it's not stable. And it doesn't cover the salary of the staff. It doesn't cover the administrative cost. Um, they all apply to uh, this Part, uh, this program of purchasing and also the evaluation that we've been talking about some people complaining about the, eva the evaluation being too quantitative and that there were too much paperwork that actually affects their quality of service you know all the the common disadvantage we've seen everywhere so yeah it, it is problematic and just regarding the the point uh someone made in our previous presentation i think we had a question about the intellectual property uh, of social organizations in having their services actually we had a special case here when the senior uh, a senior official in cta 
when he said the problem of that is they can't transform the creative program to other popular uh, forms of purchasing, for, for example, public bidding, because the social organization may have a good idea about it and they developed it. But if using the public bidding uh, pattern of purchasing, the government has to allow other organizations to compete. But it is their idea. So how are you going to, you know, give it just to this organization while the other organization may offer a better price. So that was the difficult, uh, that was a difficulty the government said when they found it. They tried to make it more stable, more long term, but that's a dilemma here. Uh, the second question is, what's the second question? Oh, the, the strategies of NGOs as a response. That's a very good question. The, as I said, the paper had a just a, a focus on the state behavior, but the NGOs, of course, respond to that. Uh, actually, uh, we are working on another paper about the politics between the state market and the so-called civil society in service contracting, because we found that some NGOs do, uh, for example, they adopt marketization strategies to have some profit to support their service delivery. Also in location A, we have a spe very special case that um, lo a local enterprise, a for-profit enterprise, which is a huge enterprise, actually created two or three organizations to support, to, to provide services to uh, local residents. Uh, so those organizations can get money from the government because they are pretty big, they're supported by the company. They can also get the support from the company. So the position are more stable and they, as some organization complain about, they just steal other organization staff with a higher salary. That kind of, that's a new strategy to uh, provide services, but not to rely on the government too much not in the caching A, but we've also seen other cases when the uh, when social organizations create a company which sells the products that go that are going to be used in service contracting. So they can uh, they can buy their own products to provide services to that, which is a very interesting and also could be problematic combination of the market logic and the non-profit logic, but I would assume that's a result of the, you know, the situation that the governmental fund is the only source of funding for many organizations and they need to survive. Thank you, Yuan Yuan. Here a question from Hui Li. Uh, can you elaborate on the generalizability of the model? Can we say it only applies to underdeveloped regions? What about local government's officials' incentives? Um, there's an article in China Quarterly talking about local officials' differing attitudes towards NGOs between innovate, innovators being more collaborative while implementers being less collaborative. I will um, upload the link that Hui Li has also provided to the to the to the piece in China Quarterly, if anybody is interested. Yeah, thank you. That, I think that's a great question. Um, first of all, as I said, we 
do think it's a new type of local state behavior. Well, we don't think that's the only one. And I don't know how generalized that could be. Uh, but the hunch we got from the field work is that in, in places where social forces are not so developed, the government must do a different thing or a different approach to develop social organization first. It's quite different from, uh, for example, Guangzhou, when there are already so many organizations and the government may need to do something to make sure that a fair and transparent competition. So these are not the case in location A and I would assume some local states must have the same kinds of problem in contracting. But again, I'm not going to claim that that would be a model that could be applied across China in many places. Uh, the differences between officials, yes, they have different attitudes, they have different incentives, and even within the same city, city A is not a big city, even within city A, you can see different attitudes um, between government at government officials at different level. Uh, for example, what I mentioned that the local government may need to create their own organizations to undertake government services, but a lot of people would assume that that's something they want to do. They want to do. The, the fact, all the information we got was that, no, that was because the town level uh, civil fear unit had the task of develop uh, developing nine social organizations every year, but they couldn't find people who are familiar with the, the field. It was the field of disability children, disabled children. So they couldn't find people to establish that. Uh, the interviewee said that he didn't like to, to do the job because that, that's extra work for him. He's not going to get a double salary from the organization. So they if you ask me, I would say they are not so uh, positive or it's not really something they want to do. Uh, they are different attitudes. And we also see in some uh, local communities, the community leader are not so interested in delivering social services, um, in letting social organizations delivering services, because that means they have to work uh, during the weekends. They have to open the door to the, to the community center. So social organizations have to work. They have to be there to assist as well as to monitor their service. And they are all extra work. They are not going to get paid for that. So I think that's another topic it, that definitely deserve more research on different attitudes among government officials at different levels. But again, I can say they are differences. Yuan Yuan, here uh, um, there's a question from Christian Straubert that uh, goes back to Hua, uh, Hua Wang's question. And I think it, it tries to push a little bit further from, from the case study to the authoritarian state. What are the what are the incentives or what are the um, the reasons, other reasons or motives and structural reasons behind the state actually creating civil society organizations to do this work? Well, that's a big question. Uh, and I think in the past few 
decades. They are changes. Um, uh, they are changes in the government's attitudes towards social organizations. It's a, it's a circle, and they are conflicts of attitudes in different levels of government and different places of government. Um, but in a very general way, uh, I think Jude actually has a paper on it. In a very general way, in Huang's period, the government had a relatively open, more open attitude towards social organizations. For example, the registration um, restrictions has been eased for certain types of social organizations. And from a higher level, uh, there were discussions about the transformation from social management to social governance. So I think that's the broader con uh, context that governments, or at least some local governments think that uh, well, social organizations can actually help in our work in delivering services at least. So I think that's the that's one of the main uh, motivate motivations for the government to contract service out. Uh, I'm not entirely sure there's a motivation to develop a civil society depends on how you how you define civil society. Again, the one the, the final element of our concept is that it's welfareism. So it's about delivering welfare services. It's about develop, uh, developing social service provider, service provide organizations. Um, how, and we've talked about rights, uh, organizations have rights-based agenda will not be uh, encouraged to participate in service contracting or they will not, they will be uh, shut down even in some cases. So again, that's a welfareist approach. It is develop, it is like to develop something, but not to, not necessarily to develop a civil society, maybe just to develop a welfareist civil society if we can call it in that way. Thank you, Yuan Yuan. Jude, uh, do you want to uh, add something to this? You have to unmute yourself, please. Yeah, I wanted to add that. I mean, it's a really interesting question. I think in our research, what we've all discussed um, together is there being various motives around public sector reform, about welfare reform, and about changing the relationships between state and society through, as um, Uenia mentioned, with social management, social governance, and so on. But um, I also wanted to draw attention to another reason, which I know Karen Fisher and uh, Karen, Professor Karen Fisher and um, Xiaoyu and Shang are going to talk about tomorrow, which is you know, the um, past experience with privatization as being a motive also uh, to the contracting. And I think that's also a very interesting dimension that is rarely mentioned in sort of studies of contracting. Thank you, Jude. Um, if you, uh, we have, uh, yeah, Hua Wang, who's uh, raised her ear hand. Can you keep it short because we're gonna keep it um, to 45 minutes, yeah. I'm so sorry if I uh, if I can I can add up some kind of uh, maybe um, practices or or experience from my fieldwork, because when uh, Yuan Yuan was talking about some uh, some big companies uh, back up the social organization or or they created some social organizations to 
to uh, to put a bait. In my research on the elderly care, I do find uh, some kind of like a property um, real estate companies. They uh, created some social organizations to work in those communities to provide this elder care or something. Uh, the those those organizations they can have provide more quality quality uh, good quality and sustainable service in the in those kind of uh, field compared to some more bottom up or more kind of grassroots social organizations because they don't worry about the financial chain. And I just have this kind of uh, concern that if that's the case in the market, uh, in, in those fields, the, the kind of this private third sector cooperation might just rule out of this more pure social organizations uh, chance to get the bid together a purchasing a bid uh, program and that might be a new form of state private state private uh, corporate corporatism rather than the, the, the entrepreneurial welfare welfareism so just change the change the disguise it disguise in a new form and so that's one thing. And another one is, uh, is to add up Jews' uh, uh, um, explanation about the local officials' incentives. I, I'm also thinking about this kind of under this social governance, this umbrella of this notion, all the, the localities, they are trying to have the policy innovations in this, in this, also in this uh, contracting services. I think they are mainly thinking the main consideration is the is the public service delivery rather than rather than um, mm -hmm. rights or welfare. I think they, they want to have more kind of uh, more contributor contributions from the society on the public service delivery. Um, yeah, just a point. Just a, yeah. Thank, Thank you, Hua Wang. Thanks a lot for your insights as well. Um, Yan Yan, do you want to wrap up and, and comment back on anything that has been raised in the last, uh, uh, in one minute? Yeah, no, they are very interesting questions and I certainly learned, from, learned, learned a lot from it. And very quickly to respond to, uh, to Wang Hua, who just said, the, I do think there is a gap between the commonly purchased public service and to welfare not to mention the gap between welfare services and rights. Uh, that could be, I think actually that could be something or even the, uh, even the feature of service contracting across China, but uh, that's just a feeling. I don't have evidence to support that. It will be interesting to see your work or, or any, anyone's work on that. I really look forward to that kind of discussion. Maybe we can discuss that tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Great, Yanyan. Thanks a lot for your great presentation and thanks everybody for questions that uh, has, have really triggered a lot of thinking. Um, if, tomorrow we're back with two more, uh, with a paper and a fascinating panel discussion. So please be sure to check your emails to uh, get the link to, to join us tomorrow. Thanks everybody and have a good afternoon, evening. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.